good morning. Is my microphone on? I forget. Oh, yes, good. All right, good morning. Great to see you guys. Uh, this was one of those mornings I wish you all could have been sitting up front. It's great to worship with you all, hear you all singing. Isn't it great to depend on the Lord, actually, right? It takes the dependence off ourselves and off the things around us and know that, man, we get to depend on a sovereign loving, merciful, kind God who cares for every single detail of our lives. Isn't that great? And, uh, and so that's what we're going to finish with this morning. We're going to finish. So get your Bible out, Genesis chapter 50, and uh, we're going to look at 50, uh, six verses, chapter uh, verse 15 to 21 of Genesis 50. 50 is where we're going to park. And uh, today is the conclusion of a long journey, right? We started three years ago and uh, finishing Genesis. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've read it. If you, if you haven't been reading through Genesis, it's certainly not too late. I would encourage you to, to get your Bible out and begin to read it. And you can certainly read it a few minutes each day. You can be done within a month to be sure. So uh, really, really read Genesis because if you don't know where you're starting, you don't know where you're going, right? And, and that's what Genesis really really is all about. So get your Bible out, turn there, Genesis 50. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, take that one with you, okay? We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. And, and uh, today we're looking at the conclusion of Joseph's life and, and really the conclusion of a long journey. And I was thinking about, um, you know, I was trying to think through like, when was the time I took a long journey? And it, the journey wasn't always great, but man, the conclusion was great. And I was thinking about a time where I a couple of years ago, my wife and I were traveling um, to my parents' house. My parents live in Baltimore. Uh, and so we were traveling on Christmas morning. And so we got up and we get in the car and you would anticipate that Christmas morning, uh, the drive wouldn't be too bad, right? And uh, you would think there wouldn't be a lot of traffic. And that was pretty much the case until we got to this wretched part of the country called Washington, D.C. And, uh, and so we get into that area and I was shocked at how how heavy the traffic was on Christmas morning. And I said to my wife, I'm like, all it's going to take is for there to be a fender bender and we are going to be stuck in traffic. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. There was a fender bender and we're stuck in traffic and Pastor Sean does not always practice holiness in traffic jams. And so... Um, and so I was super frustrated and I kind of had in my mind when we would be at my mom's house and enjoying my family and Christmas, you know, with my family. And so it took about an hour longer. And, but, and so, but here was the good news. The good news is because we got there a little late than I, later than I anticipated, we walked in just in time for lunch. So I got to skip all the distant relative pleasantries, right? And we got to go right to lunch. And, um, and so my mom, when I walk in, she she, um, she every Christmas makes a, an amazing cream of crab soup made with backfin lump crab meat that, you know, my brother helped catch right out of Chesapeake Bay. And uh, is your mouth watering? Because it should be, because it's incredible. So I walk in and literally she's like, Merry Christmas. And she hands me a cup of soup. And, and we used a cup of soup differently at the beginning of the service of the series, right? But, but this was an amazing cup of soup. And I was just like, this was a great end to a long and frustrating journey. So hopefully you haven't thought of this sermon series as long and frustrating. But anyway, we conclude today. And, uh, and today we've journeyed through Genesis and, and we're really going to end with what I would call a terrific 
piece of theological steak, okay, for us to chew on as we conclude, because really this final chapter 50 is, is, is really a piece of theology that it's more than I can unpack in one sermon. It, it, it definitely makes a difference in our lives, and it's something that I think as we leave here today, we need to, to chew on on a regular basis to remind us of God's goodness and God's sovereignty and, and how that, that uh, touches our everyday life. And so, so before we jump in, I want to do an overview, but I want to remind you this morning of the original audience. The, the original audience of this text is a, 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 a group of recently freed Hebrew slaves, okay? So uh, Israel had incubated into a great nation in Egypt over multiple generations, and so God raised up Moses, and he, he miraculously delivers these in some ways, powerless slaves from the most uh, wealthy, the, the uh, largest army that ever walked the planet Earth and, and uh, to this point. And so God miraculously delivered his people. And so now they're in the wilderness and they're traveling to the promised land. And God, uh, by the work of his Holy Spirit through Moses, gave this group of people Genesis. And he did that so they would know how they got here. They would end up know how they ended up in Egypt. They would be reminded of the promise of Genesis 3.15, that God is in the process of uh, breaking and restoring all that's been broken because of sin, that he is true to his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that they are now fulfilling these promises of heading to the promised land, okay? And so and so this morning, we're actually, you're going to get the seeds this morning. And I, again, I don't, I don't have time to unpack all of it, uh, but we're going to get even the seeds of how did Egypt become such a powerful nation, and I really believe it's the plague and, and this, this time of famine and, and, and how God prepared them uh, to become wealthy even, even in, in, in famished times. Okay, so last week we ended our journey, if you remember, with Joseph um, testing the hearts of his brothers, and so uh, he kind of put them back in the position they were when they sold Joseph into slavery. He, he wanted to see if they were softer men, if they were repentant, if they loved what their father loved, if they treated their other younger brothers well. And, and so in chapter 45, and again, I'm going to kind of give you an overview. I'm not going to cover all these chapters, but in chapter 45, Joseph now reveals himself to his brothers. He says, I'm your brother Joseph. And you can only imagine their, their shock at this moment and, and uh, knowing that their brother has all this authority knowing that they had done him so wrong and yet here he was treating them kindly and so he treats them kindly and he sends his brothers back to Canaan. He says, go get my father, go get Jacob and, and bring Jacob down. And so chapter 46 is Jacob and, uh, and his family traveling to Egypt and we see Jacob in chapter 46 and we see Jacob and Joseph reunite, okay? And then in chapter 47, we see that, that God in his providence, he, he specifically carves out this land in Egypt called the land of Goshen. And, and, and he places the children of Israel there. And this was a, a land that was actually fruitful and, and good for, for livestock and shepherding. And, and we see in chapter 47, Joseph's shrewd business dealings. So here we have in 47 that um, Joseph is, is second in charge and he's carrying out his plan that he originally proposed to Pharaoh. So we're in year two of the famine and people are hurting and they're hungry. And, and what we see in chapter 47 is incredible 
that all the people of, e- of Egypt, they sell their land to Pharaoh and they pay a 20% tax on everything they produce on the land and they're thanking Pharaoh for it. I mean, can you, I mean, how do you respond when our government raises our taxes, you know, by a couple percent, you know, we're voting that person out, but you know, here are the people of Egypt, they're giving away everything, t- paying a 20% tax and saying, thank you. Thank you so much, you know, for sparing us because times were that difficult. And so in that, we, we see that Egypt becomes incredibly wealthy. And, and I think God is positioning them to be this powerhouse when he wants to redeem his people and really show off his glory to say, man, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much earthly wealth you have, God is still sovereign. Amen. And so we see that happen in 47. And then in 48 and 49, we see Jacob blessing his children. And then in 50, Jacob passes and they take him back. He says, I want to be buried in the land of Canaan. And so they take him back to where Abraham and Isaac are buried. Joseph, first chapter 50, reminds his brothers that he, that God had good purposes for them through all this. And then Joseph passes. And so this morning I want to preach on six verses. Okay. And I'm going to just pull out three quick principles this morning that I think impact us today. So here it is. Genesis 50 verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers, so now, so Jacob has passed and Joseph's brothers have, even though Joseph has told them otherwise, has convinced themselves that, you know, Joseph is now going to seek revenge for the horrible things we did to them, did to him. And so it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. Verse 16, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And so Joseph, as they're speaking, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Why? Verse 18. His brothers fell, all, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we're your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for, I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Verse 21. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. And there's some terrific theological meat, the, the idea of meditating on our God and how he works. And, and this, this should lead us to very practical application, especially when we face difficulty in our lives. So I want to sum it all up. Here's, here's my summation this morning, okay? And I don't have this in your notes. If you want to try to write it down, you can. Uh, I'll try to talk slow enough, okay? Which is not my gift. All right, so uh, here we go. No amount of sin, no amount of sin, Evil, persecution, or difficulty can thwart the good and sovereign plans of God and his promises. No amount of sin, evil, persecution, or difficulty can thwart the good and sovereign plans of God and his promises. And we have hope in that this morning. So let me pull out a couple points this morning. All right, number one, Joseph teaches us, don't sit in God's seat. Don't sit 
in God's seat. Genesis 50, verse 19, what does Joseph say to his brothers as they fall before him? They think that Joseph now is going to seek uh, retribution. And Joseph says to them, he says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Now listen, this goes to the original sin of mankind, right? What did Adam and Eve what was the original temptation? You know, it was to doubt God's word, to, to sit in God's seat. Every time we sin, we are saying to God, I know better than you. Your word says this, I'm going to do the opposite because I know better than you, right? It's really easy to sit in the seat of God, but specifically when it comes to retribution, Joseph is encouraging us to think this way, that we need to let God right all wrongs. It's up to God to right wrongs. It's not up to us. The brothers feared that Joseph was now going to seek retribution for the evil that they had done. Even though Joseph in chapter 45 had already told him he wasn't. And so Joseph is making this incredible theological observation that to harm someone and seek retribution is ultimately the place that God holds and not man. That's God's job. Exacting justice is is not the place of any individual person. Paul says this, and I really think Paul in Romans 12 is probably jumping off on this story in Genesis where he says in Romans 12, 19, he says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, let me pause here, and it's another sermon for another day, okay? I'm not talking about criminal behavior, okay? So uh, if I were to jump to Romans 13, we would see how Paul teaches that God gives the sword, he gives to the government. Governments are placed by the Lord, and, and it's their responsibility to discipline and to exact justice, and God will hold governments accountable to do that in a way that's righteous and holy. And if they don't, God will take care of punishing governments and take care of setting in order the governments that he wants in place. We see this at the crucifixion of Christ, right? What does Christ do when he's in front of Pontius Pilate? He submits to the government, doesn't he? Even to the point of death. And so, so if there's, I'm talking about if there's a crime or something, report it to the local authorities. But what I'm talking about this morning is, is when there's an individual hurt, when, when there's, you know, uh, when we're hurt individually, we tend to rise up and say, you know what? I want to exact justice. I'm, I'm going to take justice into my own hands. But our job as Christians is to repay evil, right? with forgiveness and practical help. Our job as Christians is to repay evil with forgiveness and practical help. Paul goes on to say in Romans 12, he says, verse 20, he says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If, if he is thirsty, give him something to drink for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome, what's it say, church? Evil with good. Listen, the early church, man, they, the, the Roman government was brutal on the early church, brutal. And within 300 years, They had overcome evil with good. Within 300 years, the church had a huge say in the life of Rome. And and, and, and that's our job. Our job is not to seek 
retribution, but to turn that over to the Lord and to, to forgive. There might be maybe this week as I'm saying this, there's someone in your mind where you're like, you know what, I, I need to forgive and I already know what I can do to love them. To know, I already am thinking through what I can actively do to display the love of Christ to, some, to someone who has hurt me and done me wrong. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter six, which by the way, in, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, this was like earth shattering, right? This is like the opposite of the culture of the day. In Luke six, it says, but I say to you, Jesus said, who here love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you lo- if you love those who love you, what benefit is that? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. That's a heavy passage, isn't it, church? That's hard to go out of here and live. Listen, our culture is careening towards live in your victimization. And it's creating some major problems in our culture. And Christ is telling us we turn the other cheek. We pray for those. We do good, trusting that he's the exactor of justice Joseph did not see himself as a victim needing any justice to be sought out on his own. He, he left that up to God. And for Joseph to have, the, have that mentality, there was a very important truth that he believed about God. And here it is. He believed God's providence works for good. He, he really, really trusted in the sovereignty of God over every aspect of his life. Genesis 50 verse 20 says, as for you, you, talking to his brothers, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What was Joseph's outlook? Joseph believed in God's, and I want you to hear this, his absolute sovereignty Joseph believed in God's absolute sovereignty. Yeah, Pastor Sean, but you you don't know this marriage I'm stuck in. Yeah, Pastor Sean, you don't know the physical pain that I live with. Pastor Sean, you you don't know what happened to me in my childhood. Joseph said, and by the way, Joseph experienced all of that. Pastor John, you don't know what it's like to be single year after year after year. Pastor John, you don't know what it's like to not be able to have children. I've been hoping and longing and on and on it goes. And Joseph believed and understood God's absolute sovereignty. He said the very same thing to his brothers in Genesis 45 verse 5 when he said this. He said to his brothers, now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Because what? God did what, church? God sent me. 
God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph's thinking is God sent me here. Joseph was 100% convinced that God was 100% sovereign over every single aspect of his life. Now, let me be clear. God's not the author of evil. God's not evil and he's not the author of evil. And we learned that in 1 John where the Apostle John says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that, that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5. But to be clear, evil and the plans of evil are all subservient to the plans of God. The fruits of evil God uses to weave together for his good story. There's nothing going on in your life right now that is outside the sovereign plans of God. He's using that to weave into his story. I want you to think, before you say, well, Sean, you don't, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. Listen, I want you to reflect on the journey of Joseph. He was bound and sold into slavery. The brothers last week, remember we looked at this last week, the brothers were there reflecting on selling Joseph into slavery. And they said, man, we looked into his eyes and we heard him pleading, don't do this. He's a total 100% victim, but upon further reaction, upon further reflection, what does Joseph say? God sent me here. And then he's serving and he's working his way up in Potiphar's house. And then he, a false accusation, his character is smeared. And it now ends up in prison. And upon further reflection, God sent me here. Because God is weaving together this incredible plan and in his goodness and in his grace and his mercy, guess what? He uses your story and my story to display his glory. Now, in order to have this perspective, okay, and understand how our lives are woven together into this plan that God is using for good, we have to have an eternal perspective. That's your next letter, letter B. You have to have eternal perspective. I really believe this story of Joseph is a little bit of a type of the full picture of eternity that, that God is weaving together. God is preparing us for eternity. And so because of that, we need to have, we need to have our mind's eye set on eternity. And so this is where you got to kind of know a little bit about your Bible. You have to kind of see how it's bookended. And once you understand that, you mean, man, this is a really beautiful picture, okay? And so the, the world that we live in is broken, because of sin, Adam and Eve were set in the perfect world and, um, and then they sinned and they, they careened this world into a totally different direction. But it wasn't even a direction outside of God's sovereign plan because God wanted to display other facets of his character and other facets of his glory that we wouldn't have known otherwise. Facets like redemption and reconciliation and love and mercy and grace. And so God in his grace, what he does is when Adam and Eve sin, he sends them out of the garden and he sends them away from this tree that's in the middle of the garden called the tree of life, 
where they could have eternal life. And so check this out. And the reason I say this is gracious and merciful, I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but in Genesis 3.22, after Adam and Eve sinned, it says, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Why is God concerned about that? Because it would be a horrible, horrible state to live forever in the state of sin and brokenness, yes? I mean, in some ways, it's a grace of God that we only have 70 or 80 years in this planet in its current condition. In fact, the reason we grieve death is, is because even as believers, we know, man, death is off kilter of what God originally designed. But God in his grace has still said, you know what, I don't want you to live forever in this condition. And so as of Genesis 3, God stood up and he went to work. And what did he work towards? The redemption and the reconciliation of all things. And all of this is pointing to Christ where Christ lived the perfect life. He died in our place. And then here's the deal. He rose again from the grave. And when we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, one of the things we're celebrating is the consequence of sin is death. And so by Christ taking sin upon himself, paying for it, submitting to its consequence, which is death, and then rising again, showing victory, it is showing us that he has in that moment completed the very thing that we fear most is the consequence of our sin, which is death. And he's got victory over that. And if you're new to coastal, you're like, why were they singing those songs so loud? It's because as believers, we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit that reminds us that the same spirit that waged Christ from the dead now lives inside of us. Yes, we have a foretaste. Yes, we have a deposit, but we have the hope that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will give us victory of eternal life. Yes? yes. Amen. So the, the story is now bookended. Genesis 3 Revelation 22, check this out. So Revelation 22 is a little glimpse into heaven. And as we get this little glimpse into heaven, Revelation 22, verse two, it says, in the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river is what, church? What's it say there? The tree of life. So God in his grace protects sinful man from living forever in a broken, sinful abusive, gross, disgusting state. In his grace, he protects man. And then he goes to work and he bears the burden of sin and he bears the burden of brokenness and he overcomes the consequence of sin so that when we believe in him, we have the hope of eternal life so that one day when our faith becomes sight, what do we get back to? We get back to the tree of life. And the tree of life is yielding its fruit each month and it leaves the tree for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. Isn't that great news? Man, I hope that gets you excited. One of the things I say this over and over and over again is we are not heavenly minded enough. Listen, if all you're hoping for is this world, you're going to be disappointed. God has promised us absolute victory in Christ. And so when we talk about healing and hope and joy and blessing and fulfillment, let's be really clear. We get tastes 
of it now. We get glimpses of it now. We get deposits of it now. But one of the things I want to be really careful, I think sometimes as Christians, we preach too much of the blessings and hopes and the healing now. Sometimes we get a glimpse. Sometimes we get a taste. Sometimes we get a hope. But ultimately, man, it's all going to be fulfilled in eternity future. That's why as believers, our minds must be set on heaven where God's promises will be 100% without a doubt fulfilled. And you will stand there in that day and say, my goodness, our God is faithful to his promises without doubt. The apostle Paul tells us to be heavenly minded in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, when he says, so we do not lose heart. Why don't we lose heart? Well, our outer self is wasting away. Listen, if you came in here this morning and you've lost heart, my suspicion is you are not heavenly minded enough. When I lose heart, when I'm really honest with myself and I've lost heart, I'm like, you know what my problem is? I'm hoping way too much on the things of earth. I'm hoping in the bank account and the job and this marriage relationship and all these relationships around me and my kids and all and and it disappoints and it disappoints and I go at the end of the day I am hoping way too much on the things of earth and I need to turn my eyes towards Jesus and hope in the things of eternity. Paul says we don't lose heart. Why? Because our outer self is wasting away but guess what? Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this momentary This light and momentary affliction. By the way, that's what he calls your life. Let me sum that up. That's your 80 or 90 years, okay? These momentary light afflictions is doing what? Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Have you ever been on vacation? I I often say this on vacation, like, Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, the week before vacation is better than the vacation itself. Have you ever noticed, like, I'm going on vacation, I'm out of here, I can't wait, you know, kind of thing. And then you get back from the vacation and you're exhausted and you're like, I need another day off. I was around my family for seven days and, you know, that wasn't all that. Listen, I want to tell you something. Heaven is not going to be like that. Heaven is not going to be a disappointment. You're not anticipating it enough. You are not anticipating heaven enough. Paul says it is beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so we have this confident hope. Why? Because God is working his sovereign plan for good. God is working a sovereign plan for good. Romans 8.28 says, Paul writes, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good who, for those who are called according to his purposes. Now, I want, I want to talk about this verse. Probably a lot of you know this verse. You have it maybe memorized. If you don't have it memorized, I would encourage you to memorize it because it's a great verse to remind us about eternity, right? And keep our minds focused on eternity. But this verse often gets misapplied, okay? First of all, this verse is for Christians. 
This is for people who love God. This is for people who are called according to his purposes. This is for people who are repented of sin and are trusting in Christ. This, is, this verse is not a guarantee that you'll play in the NBA, okay? So uh, this, is a, this verse is about God's kingdom come and God's will be done and his righteousness and his holiness. This is not a verse about our ways and our kingdom and our glory and our legacy. But in Christ, God is working everything together for good. God's even using your difficulties. God even is using your sinful past. One of the things I wish I'd spent a little more time on last week is, you know, as believers, sometimes I think we repent of our sin, we come to Christ, we're new creatures in Christ, we have a new name, but because but we're still so ashamed of our past because of our sin and we never tell anybody. And I'm a believer that, guess what? God wants to use our sinful past to help other people. I mean, we're honest. Like, man, this is, and I'm not saying you blast every part of your story to everybody, but, but there is a spot for, hey, that's who I was and who I was God restored and God redeemed and God fixed because I trust in Christ. And, and there's somebody sitting in this room today that has a similar story, but they're, they're in the middle of it and they're without hope. And, and God wants to use your story to say, no, God, God takes broken things and does great things for his glory and fame. And so God is in the process of, of restoring. And for those who are called according to his purposes, he is working all things together for good, which leads us to this. When we know that God is sovereign and we trust him, listen, we journey through life with peace and with rest. The sovereignty of God and knowing that he's working, lets us journey through life with peace and rest. And you see that as, Joseph addresses his brothers where he says, don't fear. I mean, I'm going to provide for you and for your little ones. And thus he comforted them and, and he spoke kindly to them. And we're bound up with fear and anxiety and worry. Oftentimes it's because we're not resting in the person of Christ and the promises of our heavenly father. Because if in Christ, God is truly working all things together for my good, then I can know that even my trials, even my difficulties, they'll find their resolution in God's good and sovereign plan. And so I can use my difficulties. I can use the challenge that you walked in here with this week that, you know, that prayer request that you're going to write down on the tear off for the prayer team to pray about. And you should do that. But, but you can know, I don't have to be anxious about that, but I can throw my heart and my thinking and my life on Christ because Christ cares for me and he's using it for his glory. Jesus said as much in Matthew 11, right? He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? And this is a rhetorical question. It doesn't, it, so that means you don't have to show your hands. How many of y'all came in here this week and said, man, I, I had a restful week? Like, that's not a term you hear anybody say. What, how was your week? Man, I'm exhausted. It was exhausting, Right? I say it too. 
Well, if we're running around exhausted, our problem is we're not resting in Christ. And the reason we're not resting in Christ is we really don't believe his ways are best and God is weaving together a plan that will reveal his glory and see me through to the end. Yes? Come to me. All I love this verse because it just... It makes me feel restful. I can't think of another word. Like, I just like, wow. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden. By the way, that means stop doing things your way. Stop living in sin. Stop doing things opposite of the word of God. Because all you're doing is adding to your stress and your labor and your anxiety, and your pressure. No, it's... Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest and take my yoke. And the yoke is like, man, I am, I'm, I'm now saddling up next to Christ and I'm doing things his way. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Why? Because I'm gentle and lonely in heart and you, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, how incredibly freeing to know and trust Christ and to know that he has the sovereign plans over the universe. And so guess what, guys? You don't have to orchestrate, manipulate, stress, and worry. You can rest in Christ. By the way, here's a fascinating thing, right? Here are the children of Israel in year two of the most horrible seven-year famine maybe that the world's ever seen. And what does God do with them? Does he let his children starve? Oh, you You know what he does? He puts them in the most plush land left on the planet. And he makes sure everything that they need is provided, right? And if you're my age, some of you millennials and young people, you, you don't quite remember this, but people my age and older, like you, you remember the last great recession, right? And you look back on that one, and it's easy to look back on fear and trembling. But as I look back on it, there's times I look back on it, I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't miss a meal, did you? I had a roof over my head the whole time. I had good community. I had a lot of laughs. God provided everything for me. That's what he does for his children, We run around, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. You watch CNN, you're spun up. You watch Fox News, you're more spun up, right? Like sometimes just take a break. And I'm not saying being uninformed and I could preach a whole sermon on the importance of stewarding your vote for Christian influence, all that. but, But at the end of the day, our God is sovereign. There's nothing happening in our government right now that God goes, man, that one caught me off guard. Listen. I say if President Trump can be president, anybody can be president. I have new hope for my ability to be president, all right? So just relax. The Lord is sovereign. And he's going to take care of his children who walk in holiness and righteousness. And we don't have to manipulate, orchestrate, stress, and worry. Because in Christ, all things are truly working together for good. So I want to finish with this. This is a... um, and by the way, my countdown number is wrong. It says I have another 30 minutes. So I'm just getting started, guys. Buckle up. We're going to preach right into the 11 o'clock service. So um, no, I'm just kidding. I, if you've been here a long time, I've used this illustration before. Um, I actually keep this in my office um, and use it in counseling uh, on a regular basis because I think it's, it's that helpful. It's helpful to me to be reminded um, 
And so, I'll, I'm, you know, again, you've been up close a long time. You're like, yeah, hey, I've seen this one before. But I still think it's a great reminder. Um, this is a blanket I keep in my office. And uh, the backside of the blanket you look at and you're like, I can see that there's something going on there, right? You can see there's a picture, um, but it's dim, right? Man, I don't know exactly what the picture is. And I want to encourage you, let's, let's, just, let's just call this picture the glory of God, and let's call the backside of this your life. And right now you see dimly. And, and here's what I want you to know. Your life is one of the threads in this picture, right? And so here's your thread. And, and you see dimly. And, and right now your thread is, I live with pain every single day. And I pray for God, help, please take this pain away. I can't go another day. You live every day with Man, I'm in a marriage where my spouse, my husband doesn't love me the way Christ loves his church and my wife does not respect me the way the church respects her husband. And it's, it's hard. And I made that commitment under God for a lifetime commitment. And, and right now you, you see this side of the picture. And I've got children, not yet Christians, and I'm praying and I'm hoping, but I really don't know. I don't know, you know, They haven't returned to Christ and you're praying and we see this side of the picture. And your finances, you had kind of this American dream and you started out with as 18 year old, you know, and you thought you were gonna have it all and now you're in your late 50s or 60s and you're like, I still don't don't have enough saved for retirement. And you see this side of the picture. Maybe you're a senior adult and you're like, I don't know if I have enough resources to even get to where I get the glory and I'm worried and I'm concerned and, and I see this side of the picture. But I wanna encourage you this morning that in Christ, God is working all things together for good for those who love him, trust him and called according to his purposes. I wanna encourage you this side, we see, Paul says, we see dimly but we have these momentary and light afflictions, but there is gonna come a day where God, when our faith becomes sight, Christ returns, and we are gonna see the complete picture. And when we see the completed picture of heaven, you're gonna go, man, that looks a lot like Camden Yards in Baltimore, and <laughs> is that heaven? And I'm like, well, it could be, it could do a lot worse, at least you're not at Yankee Stadium. And so, um, so, <clears throat> so, tons of Yankee fans there anyway, so. And here's what's gonna happen as God unfolds the picture that you now see clearly. And you're gonna look back and you're gonna find your little thread in that. And you're gonna go, oh my, that, that's the part that my difficult marriage played. Oh, there's the part where I, I prayed for my lost children every day for 25 or 30 years. Oh, th- oh there's my sin and my past and I repented and how God used that to be a part of this picture of his glory and his fame. And we're gonna have that moment where in eternity, and when I say we're not heavenly minded enough, I really believe we're not heavenly minded enough and there's gonna become that day where our faith becomes sight and we're gonna go, wow, that's what God was up to. 
And I remember that Sunday morning where Pastor Sean was yelling at me to believe in the sovereignty of God. And I left that week in courage. And I left with that courage for that week to take one more step that week to trust Christ when I really couldn't see the full picture. But I left trusting that this week I can live for God's glory because he's doing something far bigger than I ever imagined. Because I want to encourage you in Christ, church, we see dimly. And we see dimly right now, but we have a great hope. We have an eternal perspective that God is up to something bigger than you and I can even imagine. And that all of our challenges are being weaved together to reveal the glory of God for all eternity. Joseph looked at his brothers and he said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God, God meant it for good. Church, our God is 100% faithful to his promises. Let's trust him this week by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us for the glory and fame of Christ. Our God is true to his promises. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible reminder this morning. There's nothing going on this week that's outside of your control. We give you thanksgiving. And we give you praise that you, oh God, are true to your promises. And we know that you're true to your promises because you rose from the grave authenticating your claims as being the Messiah and overcoming our greatest enemy, which is the consequence of our sin, which is death. And so the resurrection of Christ is a foretaste that every single thing that you promised will in fact and indeed come to light that you are truly weaving all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Heavenly Father, for the one in this room that is not yet a follower of you, they came here today, maybe the difficulties of life brought them here. God, I pray that they would leave knowing you, knowing that you love them so much, how much you sent your one and only son die for their sin and rise again bodily to new life. And they'd say, you know what? I'm tired of doing things my way. I've been trying to rest and find purpose and find hope in the things of the world and I just keep getting more exhausted. And so that today they would say, you know what? I'm gonna rest in Christ. I'm gonna know him. I'm gonna worship him. That I leave here today yoking myself to Christ because his way is easy, his burden is light. May they know that hope. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Listen, we're gonna go out this morning singing about the gospel, which is why we have hope. If you're here this morning, you have a prayer need, man, our prayer team's available to you on the way out. Don't leave without stopping by our prayer chapel, which is right back there. And they would love to pray to you, pray with you and minister with you in any way you need. But for, the rest, for all of us, let's do this. Let's go out celebrating the gospel, amen? And God is weaving everything together for his good and for our good and his glory. So let's go out singing this morning.